I like how you call homosexuality an abomination. I don't say homosexuality is an abomination, Mr. President. The Bible does. Yes, it does. Leviticus. 18.22. Chapter and verse. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions while I had you here. I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery, as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, always cleared the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? While thinking about that, can I ask another? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police? Here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. Leviticus 11.7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? This is Reconstructing Christianity. Join us as we encourage believers to reconstruct the heart of the Christian faith in this deconstructing world. All right. Welcome back and welcome to that abomination of a clip. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think most Christians probably have no idea how to respond to that. I mean, I'm confused right now. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. Well, we have a special guest with us today, a resident expert on theonomy. Yes. Because he wrote a paper for seminary. Expert. (laughs) That's why we keep him up. That's why. Low A. (laughs) Probably should have been a B paper. (laughs) He's our expert, okay? Yeah. <laughs> we Welcome it. to the podcast, Jubal. Yay. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> it's good to be here. We have him on retainer. Long time listener, first time caller. There we go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> our number one fan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I listen on multiple platforms. <laughs> good, yeah. Get us all those views. That's right. You've uh, you've waited seven episodes to come on, huh? <laughs> and now we're here. Now we're here. Well... Well, let's get into our topic today, which is theonomy. Woohoo! Yay! Yeah! It's not talked about a lot today, so we're going to dive into it. Well, it's talked about in like some niche reform circles. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Your mainstream evangelical probably has no idea what it even is. And if they do, they have a caricature of it, yes. and they are going to reject it. Are you talking Without about Sharia knowing. law? Yeah, yeah exactly. Pretty much, That's what yeah. you're going to hear. It's yeah, absurd. The, or they had that the idea like that clip was like, "Oh, you eat, sh- you believe in eating shrimp." Can we all be thankful that he? Although I was going to say, be thankful he's not our president, but we have Joe Biden, so yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should, maybe we should have a president might be a, little a little bit better. better. <laughs> so um, we're going to be talking about how that clip is trash. We're going to yes. be talking about the law, its applications. And um, honestly, these aren't issues that are discussed in the evangelical world. Back in the 1500s, this was talked about a lot. Um, Back in the 1600s, it was almost a daily occurrence. And for the 2000s, it it has been a a whisper uh, up until the 2020s. Yeah, it's a very important issue that is neglected. Um, But... 
before we hop into it, Jubal. Yes. Let's get into what convinced us of theonomy. What what convinced you? Or where did you start out and how did you end up where you're at today? Um, I started, well, I started what, like I think all of us did, pre-meal dispies um, in churches that were very firmly in that camp. And then also who had did not have strong grasps of, of God's law and how it applies today. Um, and so I grew up thinking that you can't legislate morality was an actual true statement, <laughs> so which is so dumb. When you really <laughs> think about it, on its face, it doesn't make sense. You certainly can't legislate people into being moral in their hearts. Mm-hmm. That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. But people just say you can't legislate morality as if every law that ever has existed doesn't say this is right and this is law sorry that's morality mm-hmm. that's morality are yeah. you saying that murdering people is is amoral yeah that's amoral it's completely amoral <laughs> it's fine i mean it's just the culture that makes laws so yeah. slavery's fine abortion's fine because the culture says actually now though slavery's bad because the culture says it's bad yeah. but back back yeah. in the day it was super good yeah super good don't like clip abortion that. today right yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm similar. I think even growing up, you kind of think of the Old Testament as, well, you have the God the Father, and he's the one that makes all these often-sounding terrible laws about stoning people, but then Jesus came, and he got rid of all that law stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think, that's, I think honestly, that's how most people think about it, though. Right. They don't really have a holistic way to view that. I mean, we're under a law... I mean, we're under the grace, not under yeah. the law. Yeah, we're going to address that. Don't worry. <laughs> well, and it's mind blowing too when you really think about it. Because growing up, I was in a church that believed the Bible was inerrant and infallible and authoritative, and who proudly would say, you know, Second Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is God breathed, all is profitable. And Except then they the say, Testament. well, but the law though, we we don't yeah. talk about that stuff. <laughs> and then they make jokes about, yeah, I had had to really fight to stay awake while I was reading through Leviticus in my reading plan this year because oh, that was real tough to get through. And yes, yeah, sure, it's it's dry, but it's still when you look at it with the right mindset and realize the beauty and the justice that God established for His people. Or when you, you read have it, a better view. Or when you read it and you think, "Well, this is this means nothing now." You're not going to get much out but of it. Exactly. Well, it's funny because First uh, Timothy three sixteen is ac- applicable only to the uh, citizen believer who is just an average Joe, not to the mayor, not towards, not to the, um, not to the president, not to anyone. No, that's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> it's he can he has to make more he can't make moral laws. Oh, obviously, yeah, yeah. So he can't be he can't do what First Timothy three sixteen says. Of course not, because yeah. we don't have a way to view that. That's only we, it's only applicable to his personal spirituality. Oh yes, but you wouldn't you wouldn't dare apply morality to the general populace because again, you know, why would you want to tell people they can't do something like murder? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's perfectly yeah. fine. It's neutral. Now, my experience with theonomy is sort of different from you guys. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how different. Um, however, um, I've always been under the idea that we should have that we should go back to Reagan and have some, you know, moral laws. Um, oh, good Reagan, the bastion of morality. Yeah. No fault divorce. <laughs> no fault divorce. 
thanks reagan i think abortion too but yeah um i have um i'm a history student i love uh i love history and i always thought you know charlemagne did the best he could um and so in 27 in 2017 i heard james white talk about this new thing called theonomy oh brand new (laughs) yeah Yeah, i know right i remember listening to that too actually and he was he was defending jeff durbin Mm -hmm. people were calling them heretics and i was just like he was just like well if the if the magistrate wants to um is a christian what should he do right well he can't legislate morality oh yeah He's, That's what they would have you believe. Yeah, he's bound by his hands and feet not to legislate morality. Yeah. So what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to introduce you to theonomy, and we're going to try to iron out: Does the law still apply today? And if so, in next episode we'll see how it applies to society. Spoiler alert: It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It applies. Wait, are you serious? <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Kendrick. But what about bacon and shrimp and all that? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't eat bacon and shrimp because I really love God more than you guys. He's a liar. I've seen him eat it. <laughs> I actually really love bacon-wrapped shrimp, so <laughs> double sin. Well, let's define our terms, okay? What is theonomy? Well, I think we could go to the um, to the roots of the word. Uh, theo means God. Mm-hmm. Theos. Theos. Um, it's easily recognizable in the Bible mm-hmm. and in just um, and just average Greek mythology. Um, theo, theo means God. Uh, nomia uh, means law. So God's law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we would all say we love God's law. If yeah. you ever are in a conversation where you say, "Are you a theon? Are you a theonomist?" Well, I think every Christian should say. Yeah, I love God's law. We should love God's law. The problem is people see it differently, yeah. depending on which camp you're in. Um, I mean, even the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms says that just their simple definition of theonomy is ruled or controlled by God, mm-hmm. which I think is a good working definition to say, because that, that is the basic principle of what kind of law are you going to have. And the basic, you know dichotomy is you're going to either have theonomy or autonomy you're going to have rule of man or rule of god and so the the being ruled or controlled by god is far greater than being ruled by man Mm -hmm. and the laws that man can contrive from his own sinful heart i'd much rather have god be the one who makes those standards of morality because he's the only reason that there even exists a standard yeah we see the consequences of this today we're ruled by an autonomous government and things go down the crapper what people are like why is it why is it going down the crapper hmm couldn't be to do with the fact that we've totally rejected the lord wholesale yeah but you can't legislate morality you can't have <laughs> you have to have yeah. lgbt people a, able to um able to have their own back okay ted cruz <laughs> let's calm down <laughs> all right now we're getting into it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So most people, I don't think, view the law like David did, where David saw the law as a tremendous blessing. Mm-hmm. Today, we think about it as just a curse, a curse on us. But it's not what it was. David saw it in a totally different light than we do. And I don't think Christians today can really read the Psalms 
like David meant us to. No. Well, I mean, even growing up, and I think there's some truth to this, but growing up, whenever we would read, read Psalm 119, we were told, well, anytime it says law or precepts or word, any of that, all of that just means the Bible in general. Nope. Um, well, no. I mean, the, the, the Psalm does talk about loving the Word of God. It does talk about loving um, God's Word, and we should love God's Word, all of it. Um, but whenever it says the law, it's specifically saying the law. I mean, in well, Psalm yeah. 1, bless the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, what did they have access to? What canon did they have access to? It wasn't what we have today. No, they didn't have the Gospels. They, they had have... Deuteronomy, probably. Right. They, yeah. had, uh, they had Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, and that's all they had. Yeah, which is a lot of laws. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I doubt that uh, they were looking at Isaiah and going like, oh, I just love this book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they didn't have most of the canon that we have today. Right. And we don't think about that. But when David wrote that, well, guess what? The law was Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's what he's talking about. And when we read that, we think, okay, well, I really like Genesis – um, it's got a lot of cool historical yeah. stuff. I like Exodus. Um, I like seeing how God worked through the plagues and who, through delivering his people. Um, but then you get to really the middle of Exodus after chapter 20, and you're like, it, it begins getting pretty law heavy. And you think, oh man, this is really hard to read because I don't have any basis for understanding how to apply it. Um, we, I think that's been my experience growing up, anyways. Do do evangelicals even read Leviticus? <laughs> um, no, that's the problem. They they say, well, I started my Bible reading plan, but I really got hung up in Leviticus again, and so they either skip it or they just say, well, that's where my reading plan ends for the year. Sorry, at least I made it to February third. <laughs> well, that leads me into my next point. What is, and I'm gonna throw out a big word here, the pedagogical use of the law. Is that like child molesters or something? <laughs> <laughs> no. So there's there's three uses of the law. I believe the first one is pedagogical. And that means basically what it reveals about the holiness of God. Can I? Oh sure, yeah. Read something from Calvin? Yes. Um, in the Institutes, Calvin said this about the first use of the law, the pedagogical use mm-hmm. that, um, he says, for until his vanity is made perfectly manifest, he is puffed up with infatuated confidence in his own powers and never can be brought to feel their feebleness. So long as he measures them by a standard of his own choice. So soon, however, as he begins to ca- compare them with the requirements of the law, he has something to tame his presumption. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean, it, it, it summarizes the fact that the law, the first use of the law is to reveal our sinfulness and to reveal that we don't, we can't judge our own standard. We can't mm-hmm. judge our own weakness of frame. We have to have the law of the Lord to show us yeah. where we fail. Yeah, it shows us God's holiness and our sinfulness. Right. And it, what Calvin's talking about is how that causes humility. If you don't understand the law, if you don't know how to read Leviticus, you aren't learning about the holiness of God when he treats these sins the way he does. And you're not learning about how grievous your own sin is. You're just reading that these laws sound icky. Right. Yeah. And well, it 
Paul talks about, he says in Romans 7, he says, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Mm-hmm. So he, Paul is saying, the law is what showed me even that I had that standard to uphold. I wouldn't have understood that I'm not to covet, covet if the law hadn't given, hadn't revealed that to me. If God hadn't shown me through his perfect law, you're not living righteously if you're coveting your neighbor's wife, mm-hmm. ox, ass, whatever. Ooh. Sorry, I said the A word. <laughs> you said the sorry. I, 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 sorry, I went full King James. You guys, my bad. <laughs> also, um, I would like to say that I mean, this is how atheists grow. This is how atheists grow up. They learn that the law is just something icky. You don't do this. You do that. Um, don't have sex. Don't drink beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just basically they grow up and say, "Well, obviously you shouldn't have sex before you're married," but. Um, it's just you don't do this you don't do that and there's a certain kind of simpleness towards that but you don't have any other reason to apply God's law mm-hmm. besides just don't do it yeah, yeah. I, I think it comes down to like as a parent you know God is our father and he if he's teaching his children you know at a certain point he teaches them and just says hey you know you don't need to do this and as they grow up, then they begin to understand the reasons behind mm-hmm. the law. I mean, with my kids, with Luke, Luke is two, um, two and a half. And whenever I tell him no, I don't say, now, Luke, buddy, this is why we're not doing that. Because he's two. He doesn't understand that yet. Mm-hmm. But as he grows, he will begin to understand. And I've started doing this with my older kids, for sure. Lincoln and I had this conversation the other night of, hey, um, the reason you need to obey right away as soon as I say something is because, you know, in some cases it doesn't matter. I mean, aside from the fact that you need to be obedient to your father mm-hmm. and to the Lord, mm-hmm. um, it it's not life or death. But if you're running towards the road and I say, Lincoln, stop, it needs to be immediate. Yeah. Obedience needs to come quickly. Um, and so... I've begin have begun having those conversations to say now you're going to understand why this law is here why it's a guardrail yeah. it helps you to um to grow in in grace it, to grow in godliness and it helps you also to to keep you safe and a lot of times the pr- a problem is is everybody just gets the standard of don't do this don't do this don't do this don't do this yeah, and they never to, get the teaching of look at what protection this offers yeah we think the god's law is just arbitrary right do's and don'ts and if you think of just uh, modern sexuality as be straight and don't be gay. Right. And it doesn't go any deeper than that. You've kind of missed the point. Right. Yeah. It's uh, not just an arbitrary command about sexuality. Yeah. Um, we don't have like a, like a standard of mm-hmm. sexuality and what that means in the, and what sexuality represents in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, we can get off topic with this, but uh, it's <laughs> really easily. It's revealing how God intended the created order to work, and how one of those is a perversion of that, and how it right. doesn't actually produce life, which is the purpose of us being here. Yeah, um, but we just think God's commands are largely arbitrary. Right. That's not the right way to think about it. Um, and you know, in circles I've run in that. The first use of the law isn't really the controversial one. People are like, oh, yeah, the law is there to show me I'm a sinner and I'm saved and I'm under grace, so I don't need the law anymore. Yeah, right. So is that true? Are we 
Are we under grace? Has the law gone away? Is it irrelevant now? We are under grace, yes. but the law is not irrelevant. <laughs> the law is still relevant to us because of, um, well, it's relevant for all people. It's relevant for the first use of the law for everybody, especially for non-believers, um, because they still need to be shown their sin. Um, the second use of the law and the third use of the law. The third use is really where it's it, the law is brought to bear for the, the believer, for the mm-hmm. Christian. Mm-hmm. Um the first and second use, I think, are for the outside world. Mm-hmm. Um, the second use being that it restra- restrains sin. We haven't really talked about that yet, yep. but basically the, the, the second use of the law is that um, when there is a standard in place, um, it serves to restrain people from their sin. Um, and we'll hit that more in the next episode, I think. But um, the third use of the law, um, in Calvin's understanding, he calls it the principal use. Um, and he says it's for the for believers in whose hearts the spirit of God already flourishes and reigns. Um, oh, I love Calvin. And so, yeah, oh man, I know <laughs> Calvin's a he's a complete G. Um, but the I'm going to just read you this from my paper that I wrote this here. It says the third use of the law. Calvin splits into a twofold benefit, teaching that one that the law shows the believer the will of God, and two that by frequently meditating upon it, he will be excited to obedience and confirmed in it and so drawn away from the slippery paths of sin. I think that's really great to think about the mm-hmm. fact that um, when we understand the law rightly and frequently meditate upon it, mm-hmm. we understand the will of God, and we're excited to obedience, yeah. confirmed in our obedience, and drawn away from sin. That's mm-hmm. that's great stuff. Yeah, the law is useful for sanctification in the life of the believer. Yes. If you don't understand the law of God, you're stunting your sanctification. So it's important. Not to just treat these things like they're irrelevant, because they're not. Right. And I should say also that excited to obedience and confirmed in it bit, that actually is a quote from Calvin. I was quoting my paper, but in that I also quoted Calvin. So um, it's like the Michael Scott, yeah. you know, <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. That's that's what happened here just now. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, well, let's let's address the, the most common argument I've heard, which is, well, I'm a believer. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Oh, well, you're dumb. <laughs> Sorry, that's probably there not, we the go. Best, that's not the most charitable or pastoral <laughs> answer. Uh, let's try that again. <laughs> All right, so let's get on, let's under, I think to fully address that question, we have to go to the promises in the Old Covenant. Um, what's, the, um, what's the most, um, what's the best um, verse? What's the best uh, passage for for the promises of the new covenant? That would be Jeremiah thirty one, um, and I forgot the verses. Uh, Jeremiah, th- the whole chapter. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the whole chapter. But you really get into the new covenant in thirty one, thirty one, and and following. Yeah, and we just talked about this actually in the episodes before oh, yeah. this. He said um, the law will be in their the law will be on their hearts, and they will not have to teach anyone their neighbor mm-hmm. who was I. Who is God? Because they will already know who God is. So, basically, we have to address, and we have to address this. The law will be on everyone's hearts. What what law is that? Is yeah. that just mm-hmm. is that just the print the laws of positivity, mm-hmm. or is that the <laughs> the laws of positivity? Yeah, that the Joel Osteen your best life now laws. Well, okay, I'll play the devil's advocate because here's what they would say. They would say the law he's talking about is loving your neighbor. 
Because all the other laws are wrapped up in that. Yeah, but when you think... Okay, but that's the thing. Yeah. All of the <laughs> yeah. law and prophets hang on these things. Uh-huh. Love God and love your neighbor. So all of the law and prophets are on that. So that means in order to rightly apply love God and love your neighbor, we need to understand what the law says. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where is that verse found in loving your neighbor? It's found two verses after. You uh, you shall not lie with a man like unto a woman. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um. We have to, if we're believers, we should have the law of God written in our hearts, daily meditating on it. And one of the aspects of the law is that one of the things found in Deuteronomy is a careful, is careful, careful meditation upon the law. A careful teaching of your children. Oh, yeah. Of the law. Of when you when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way. I mean, all these t- basically, all of your life should be spent teaching your children, your family, to follow the law of God. Yeah, and here's the most direct place I can point y'all, and that is Matthew five, starting in verse seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, do not think, and this is Christ talking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. And then he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot, not one dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Well, hmm. but Tim, <laughs> he said he was going to fulfill it, and since we can't obey perfectly, that doesn't apply to us, so we should just do whatever we want. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't read that anywhere in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Also, Tim, if you say that the law applies today, then we can't eat shellfish. We can't. Uh, yeah, there. We, we, that's yeah. We can't eat lobster. We can't. Let's get into that. Yeah, a let, little let's bit do. because you know what? <laughs> Certain laws, though, still. I mean, I, I'm full on general equity, so I think that those laws still have use. And we'll talk more about general equity next episode. Okay, so I'm not going to get into that. Well, you can't go for but it. But I will say, <laughs> what I'll say is they those laws still have their use, but they, they had a specific purpose in distinguishing Israel as a nation yeah. at the time of their Well, and think, think of the clip, and he mentioned mixed fabrics. fabrics. Right. Okay, what was... what? What was the purpose? What was being taught with that law? Don't intermix with the other I mean, nations. Right. This, there was a purity within Israel. Yeah. It's um it's the Ezekiel Ezekiel bread thing. Uh, it's not written there to prolong your life, believe it or not. Yeah. It's there to um show that the Israelites have intermixed mm-hmm. with the nations. And he's putting like lentils, different stuff on and then he um he makes it over the cow's poop, so that um, <laughs> so to show that they have intermixed. They are not a unique people anymore. They have been, they have intermarried. Um, they have yeah. done all these things. They are not holy anymore. Yeah, God is teaching them a principle. What that law is not arbitrary. Again, like we've been talking about, but right. That's just a hint of what we're going to get at next episode. Yeah. Um, but. Is there any other place or any other arguments about not being under the law that y'all have found particularly difficult or, <laughs> I don't know, maybe is a good argument you don't know how to deal with? You see, in um, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said, um, I, say, 
kind of losses an eye for an eye, two for ah, two. Ah, yes. And but Jesus says he overthrows the law. You see. Yeah. Thank you for going there. Actually. Actually, yeah, because well, for one thing, <laughs> people are just so quick to misapply the scriptures. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be if it was an eye for an eye for an eye for an eye for an eye. But see, when you have one eye, and then the next, the if once justice has been done, mm-hmm. you just have, actually, an eye for an eye would just leave the whole world one-eyed, if that was really, if you want to take that <laughs> that route. But that's still not Get true. Get destroyed with facts and that's logic. Just, it, it, the fact is, and the logic <laughs> says, that in the situations, in the scenarios, because Jesus was quoting from the law, and he wasn't saying, oh, that standard wasn't good. He was saying, here's an even greater standard of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And here's an even better... But it wasn't also not talking about um, when your life is threatened. He wasn't saying, oh, you know, as John Piper says, well, oh, my wife's getting you know attacked. I'm yeah. not going to defend her because... You know, turn the other cheek. No, this isn't talking about you know protecting life. This wasn't talking about defending one's own life. It wasn't a life-threatening situation. It's talking about in taking offense. Don't be so quick to seek the justice in the situation because God is going to get justice. God is going to be um, you know vengeance. Is, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That is absolutely true of God. And so I don't have to seek to fix every offense. Um, if I'm offended, I can turn the other cheek and I can let them offend me again and know that the Lord sees, the Lord is patient, and I should be seeking to be patient with him. Yeah, and what, what I think is interesting is I've heard that passage used to say, well, the death penalty's gone then because eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, that was quoted and referring to, in the Old Testament, to the death penalty. So Jesus said in the New Testament, well, you've heard it said, but I say, and that means he's getting rid of that law. Well, hey, no, <laughs> no, that's not what he's doing. And in fact, you could argue that the Pharisees were abusing that principle to basically take out any personal injustice that they suffered to go and right. do eye for an eye, like Jubal was saying. But that doesn't mean in the civil law that the death penalty is no longer there. Jesus is just imposing stricter commands on it. Right. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you look at these, I the law says this, but I say unto you, none of those, but I say unto you, were to say, oh, but actually that law doesn't yeah. apply anymore. It was to say, I have an even greater standard that you should be seeking to apply. Mm-hmm. Also, I think one can make the argument that um, he's talking about um, further explanation of the law. The further, um, a furthering of the law, um, explaining details about that certain law. Right. Because yeah. I don't think that, because he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, if you look on a woman with lust, <laughs> you've committed adultery in your heart. I don't think that was new. Yeah. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, if they were sitting around in the camp in Israel and somebody looked on a woman with lust, he still had committed adultery in his heart before Christ said that. Oh, but, but what Jesus was doing is he was saying, You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but if you do it in your heart, then it's... That means you can physically do adultery then, right? Yikes. As well, it's you, already done in my heart. As, Might as well carry yeah, it on out. As long as you commit adultery and you don't do it in oh, your heart. Oh, it's a Gnostic thing <laughs> where, um, you know, you can have uh, sex with a pro- with a prostitute, 
but as long as your soul doesn't intermingle with the prostitute's soul. Man, Gnostics have some, they must be smoking some crazy <laughs> stuff. What is going on with that? Yeah, and, when you hear Jesus say that, he's expounding that law. Right. And he's talking to people that have largely perverted those laws. He's explaining it to them and showing them how they've misused it. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. That's actually a, a good argument. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else y'all can think of? I don't want to. I want to steel man our opponents. I don't want to feel like we are straw manning or just picking the weakest arguments out of the bunch. Right. Well, you see, it says Jesus fulfilled the law. Uh huh. Therefore, all the laws are abolished. Well, that's not. That, but it actually that said the opposite. Absolutely, completely contradicts <laughs> what he did say, which was, "I have not come to abolish the law." And as you know, this is something that Jeff Durbin talked about a lot when he was going through this mm-hmm. passage. He was saying, when Christ was saying that, the the language is, "Do not even begin to think that I have come to abolish the law. No, I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it." And so, it's like he was adamantly saying this is not an abolition of the law the law has not been abrogated in me it's been fulfilled in but it still applies it still has there's still a standard of holiness that we must keep mm-hmm. well yeah i think that's a good place to leave it let's let's get it a little practical now before we close out the episode yeah um this has largely been about believers we'll keep it here for this episode and then expand it next episode second use of the law baby yeah, yeah so um <laughs> Why is this important to reconstructing Christianity? Why is it important that believers understand that the law still applies to them? The problem is this. We have had decades of men and women who have taken taken a weak view of the law, um, have taken a flippant view of the law and said, oh, well, that doesn't apply to us. Oh, well, that standard just doesn't make sense today. Oh, well, that standard just, that was only for Israel. And there were certainly laws that were, but they've taken that and applied it. They've gone too far with it. Mm. We've had decades of this from notable teachers. We have people who are saying, well, the law just isn't useful for us anymore. Um, And what that has led to is, um, I mean, embracing the myth of neutrality in the public sphere, Mm -hmm. And what? look at us. We have full-on degradation month, as Kendrick likes to call it, yep. Pride Month right now. We're in June, and this is fully embraced. We have, we have, we're in a time right now where parents have to try to go to the school board and read the vulgarities that their children are reading in school in order to try to get them out of the school, which the solution is to just take your kids completely out of the public school oh, no, system because no, no. government schools are trash. <laughs> but... What, I mean, the the fact that we've had so many decades of misuse of the law or misunderstanding of the law has led to us having just full-on embracing sin in the public sphere and even in the church. Look at all the denominations that started with women pastors, and now they're fully embracing the, you know, the, the queer gay movement stuff. Mm-hmm. And then now it's, well, I have a lesbian in the clergy because I'm inclusive. And it's just absurdity after absurdity. Because they failed to understand the goodness of God's law. I mean, look at what was said in in the, in the scriptures. It's, they talk about the fact that the neighboring nations would see the laws of Israel and say, "How just are the laws of Israel?" They'd see mm-hmm. the goodness of God's law, and we've lost that. Yeah. 
we well, have an idea of well oh man god was so restrictive back then i'm so glad that he lets us do whatever we want now it's yeah ridiculous. well it's it's funny because we give people trouble for reading the old testament laws if it doesn't apply to them but the egalitarians read the new testament as if it doesn't apply to them also it's true yeah they do they're guilty of the same thing right. if not worse well i think the big problem i think uh, there are two big problems in my view um one of the problems that is is that if we view the law as if jesus fulfilled it and it's all done uh we have no reason to do it um well the problem is is that how do you get to homosexuality being a sin how do you get to um how do you get to um how do you even get to idolatry being a sin um how how do how does some the law relate to us as christians well it doesn't if you take that view if you take the view we're holding it would it's much more consistent much more concise with the bible and i think that's the way we honor god the second part is that in the first corinthians he talks about church discipline and how he needs to cast these people out of church discipline i mean how he needs to cast these people out to satan well what's the idea there is that they know what they're doing is bad they know what they're doing is against the law um the idea i mean we have to know what the law is to cast these people out right. well we we say but they say oh we're under law we're, we're no longer under law uh we're under grace well that's what that's what the uh, libertines that's what the antinomians have been saying for all this time and i'm sorry lutherans but you guys cannot uphold i'm you guys cannot fully do that you guys cannot challenge um the you cannot challenge the gay pride movement and that's why a large part of you are um are going to the wayside mm -hmm. right the only basis that you have for challenging these openly rebellious movements is God's law. I mean, we try to people try to boil it down and say, "Well, all we have is love God and love your neighbor." But well, I mean, where do we? How do we do that? What does it mean to love God? Well, we have the first table of the law that really adequately tells us that. How do we really love our neighbor? Well, we have the second table of the law that really helps us to understand how to do that as well. Um, those things apply, and then we have all of the 613 Old Testament laws that mm -hmm. expound even further upon how to uphold those original Ten Commandments that were given. All of that applies. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can you look at those things and you say, oh, well, I love my neighbor by rightly applying justice when he's stolen from. Mm -hmm. I love my neighbor when I rightly apply justice when someone that I, he loves has been killed. I love. I can't adequately love my neighbor if I say, "Well, oh, I'm sorry that your stuff got stolen, but we're just gonna let him keep it and owe you nothing, <laughs> yeah. and Which get is over it." Exactly now. what the government is. But doing. that's hatred of our neighbors. Yeah. It's hatred. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. If you um, in First Corinthians, the loving thing to do was to kick um, the guy having uh, sex with his mother-in-law. It, it was to kick him out. It was kick the guy out. Yeah, remove him from the church. He treat him as an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it was not just a social norm 
to have sex with your mother-in-law. It was against Scott's law. Well, so I'm, I've been, my thoughts have been jogged since we're in Pride Month. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a lot of Christians out there that just want to say, we need to be out there loving our neighbors, not condemning them for being homosexuals. What do y'all think? Is that actually how scripture defines love? Um, absolutely not. The idea of loving is rebuke is sometimes having to rebuke your neighbor. And do we have a law that would tell us that all the things going on in Pride Month are wrong? Yes, we do. And we do? <laughs> oh sweet we have a law cool <laughs> so glad we have a standard where is it <laughs> yeah let me, let me find that um i mean first of all i how many of us actually believe that there are physical ramifications for sinning well we we don't yeah. i mean we should yeah but we don't we don't think we think, well, Christ covers my sins, so there now are no consequences. That's certainly not the case. I mean, he did took he he did, he did took it. He <laughs> did take the wrath of God for us, but there are still going to be temporal consequences for our sin. Mm-hmm. There are still going to be things that have to happen. I mean, the government wants to say, oh well, unless you steal at least nine, you know, like look at California. If you don't steal at least nine hundred dollars, then you're fine. Yeah, you're good. So I can walk in a store in California and steal $850 worth of merchandise and walk out scot-free. Except but, there's ramifications for what they're doing. And now all those stores are locking, cabinets are leaving altogether. Yes. And actually by not confronting that issue, you've hated everyone else that lives there. Right. Mm-hmm. You, Which is you, how we treat homosexuality it, today. It is. We treat it as if it's, well, oh, it's none of my business what happens between two consenting adults. As if consent is the standard that we should yeah. be judging by. It's not. It's an insufficient standard. Mm-hmm. By the way, um, do I have to bring back the memories of whenever Kirk Cameron was absolutely railed for saying, "Oh, God brings up God brings about tornadoes and uh, hurricanes." Yeah. Just some basic stuff he said that Christians lose their mind. Right. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was um, it Isaiah where it says, "I create peace and bring calamity." Mm-hmm. This is the Lord speaking. Um, well, what are those calamities? We're talking about natural disaster type stuff that's happening. No, those are calamities in your heart. <laughs> it's all spiritual. <laughs> yeah. All spiritual. Yeah. Secret knowledge stuff. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is where our pietistic movement has got us. Is that homosexuality is good for me, but it's not good for you. It could be. I mean, it's good for me. It's good for you, Kendrick. <laughs> definitely good for Kendrick. <laughs> Oh, uh, you should see his face. Oh, man, this is great. <laughs> I feel really happy about this right now. <laughs> uh, anyways, I think, guys... <laughs> I think what Kendrick is trying to say is that when we say that there are different standards, you know, where it, where I say, well, of course, I couldn't do that because that's against God's law. But since you don't believe in God's law, mm-hmm. it's perfectly fine for you. We act as if the standard doesn't apply to everyone. Right? I mean, right. it's basically where yeah. you were going before yeah. we started mocking you mercilessly. Yes. <laughs> well, what's funny is we say as Christians, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Where's that put unbelievers? Oh, snap. Right. Under the under law. The law. <laughs> and we do need to, I, I want to add a caution here. Um, add a little guardrail for us against legalism. Um, because we're not saved by works. Mm-hmm. We're not Catholic. 
we're not papists who think that we have to work hard enough to get our salvation. Yeah. Um, no, our salvation is of Christ. It's a gift of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't want to be legalistic. But legalism is not loving the law. Legalism is trying to make the law how we get saved. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to end up into an antinomianism where we say no law at all, which is the culture we live in now. Um, we don't want to rebel so hard against antinomianism that we get into legalism. We we don't we want to avoid both ditches. Yeah. Um, you want to drive on the road here. Um, but a lot of times, and I was recently accused of being a Pharisee <laughs> for loving the law. Um, in an, in I'm an, convinced a, no one actually knows what that means when they call you a Pharisee. They don't. They don't <laughs> because. Even, I mean, if I say my delight is in the law of the Lord, I'm just saying what the scriptures say. And I could be pharisaical in it, but I certainly don't want to be, and I hope I have two brothers but, here that would call me on that if I was. Yeah, but what did the Pharisees do? They added to the law. Yes, it was, it was, they were adding additional standards, not like Jesus did of saying this is how this law should be applied, but they were adding standards that were completely away from what the law intended they were everything that the pharisees did was it was the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law the spirit of the law was protection of israel it was it was protection of god's people Mm -hmm. um the letter of the law though i mean that's why they would they hated when jesus was um you know you healed on the sabbath well the law says that you can't do anything like that so you're guilty when because they were judging by the letter of the law. They were adding this standard of saying, well, th- I mean, they weren't taking the law for what its purpose was. They were taking the law at just, well, now we have something con- to condemn you for. But the spirit of the law was love. Do you know what the word Pharisee meant in 500 years ago before insanity happened? Hmm. It meant hypocritical. It didn't mean illegal legalism. Mm-hmm. Legalism meant legalism. Right. Hypo- Pharise- Pharisaicalism meant hypocrisy. And they got it from Matthew 28. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah, I can, I can think of times I've heard it used that way as well. Yeah, and if they are using it that way, that's right. Um, and we don't want to be hypocritical either. Mm-hmm. But we have to. So we, when we look at the law, we need to love it. We need to. I mean, because we need to love all of God's word. We need to, when we look at the law, we need to say, look at what a wonderful, mm-hmm. beautiful, a just blessing. standard blessing that God has given us. Mm-hmm. He's given us guardrails against harm. He's given us, um, he's given us his love mm-hmm. in showing us how to apply justice rightly. And we can certainly go into the, to either ditch of, of hating the law and being antinomian, or we could be, um, go to this other ditch of being trying to make people well this person has sinned too much so even god's grace can't cover them um in this legalistic mindset of saying well you really need to earn that mm-hmm. that's not how we do or it or just cramming the law down people's throats without really explaining the purpose of it right well i mean that's exactly the reason i'm having these conversations with my kids to yeah. say i don't want you to think that i'm just trying to be authoritative mm-hmm. I do have God-given authority in our home, but when I'm using that, I want to use it lovingly. Mm -hmm. I want to teach you responsibility. I want to teach you how to live righteously and to please God. I want to train your affections towards the right things.
That's God, the purpose. God says not to eat that cookie, so you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, All right. Well, was there anything else y'all wanted to add before we close out this episode? This is y'all's show, so do your thing. Okay. <laughs> no, nothing else? Okay. Well, let's close it out. And I want to talk to you, oh, modern man. Which way are you going to take? Do you look at God's law and you think it's icky? Do you think you're more righteous than God is? That you can look down on him and the laws that he's giving us? And think, I would, I would never do something like that. No, you got two ways to go: submit to the Son, kiss Him, let Him rule, or be against Him. He has given us laws to help us repent, submit. Amen.